The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Morning, church. Man, it's great to be together. Am I on? You hear me? Okay, there we go. All right. Uh, man, what a, what a joy and a gift to uh, be able to worship together, uh, maybe get a taste of what it could be like to be one worshiping congregation. And uh, my heart has just been filled with joy already uh, to sing with you and to hear uh, the voices fill this room together. Uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm 90. Uh, <clears throat> Bent, Bent Creek people, I, I want to promise you, I do preach out of more than just the Psalms. <laughs> Last time I was here was Psalm 126, um, but I, as I prayed and sought the Lord for what he had for us this morning, he just brought me to Psalm 90, and so uh, that's where we're going to be. You know, we both as congregations have a lot to celebrate and a lot to be grateful for. Um, for Bent Creek, 122 years of the Lord's faithfulness. For Missio Day, we just celebrated 15 years of God's faithfulness to us, and, and yet both of our congregations are also at a bit of a crossroads. Uh, we don't know what the future holds, and, and we're hopeful and we're prayerful about what God might be up to. And, and so as we examine prayerfully this opportunity before us, I believe the Lord stands ready to bless us. The cross of Christ makes that obvious, that God desires our good with all that he is. And so we have every incentive today to seek his blessing and his favor for whatever is next. And so what I want to do this morning is just bring encouragement to you from Psalm chapter 90. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to read the entire passage. It's 17 verses. We will primarily be in verses 12 to 17, but I'm going to summarize the first 11 verses as we get into it. So just uh, read along with me or follow along in your Bibles as I read Psalm chapter 90. I'll even read the superscription. It says this, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. 
Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, at Missio Day, when I read the word, I usually say this is the word of God and then the people can respond, thanks be to God. So this is the word of God. What a joy. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather with the saints and um, to welcome new friends and um, to get a taste of, of what it would be like uh, every week to be a people gathered like this to worship you and, in, and you alone. And I pray that in these moments that we have together as we look at this passage of the scripture, that you would be honored and glorified, that you would help us to see the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus and to cling to him even more firmly. Do what only you can do in our hearts, Holy Spirit. By the proclamation of your word, I pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Now, you may not know this, but Psalm 90 is, is one of two Psalms of Moses, which means it's also one of the oldest Psalms in the Bible. And uh, as you saw there, I, I said I wanted to encourage you from Psalm 90, and there's a lot of discouragement in those beginning verses, because this Psalm recounts the Exodus journey uh, from Egypt to the Promised Land. And it starts out positively. He says, you have been our dwelling place, right? Our refuge in every age and in every generation and every circumstance, you've been our refuge. Most recently, that 400 years of slavery in Egypt. But see, the, the people of God had clung to him and he had delivered them. But sadly, in the wilderness, the people of God rebelled. They refused to trust in God's care. They refused to trust in God's provision. They constantly complained against the Lord. Uh, the Bible even calls the people of Israel a stiff-necked people at one point. And they, they had turned away from him. And because they had turned away from him, God had turned away from them. He couldn't use them. Um... Moses had to witness the anger and the judgment of God coming down upon his people in the wilderness. And they all died off. Moses himself didn't even make it into the promised land. That generation all died off because God could not use them. Um, and I was thinking about this. If you look at the numbers of, 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 of about how many people there were in Israel and how many people would have had to die every single day during that 40 years in order for that, there not to be a generation left, Moses probably did about 40 funerals every single day for 40 years. All because, and think about this, um, this people was called by God and sent by God to be a culture of life and light in the world. And because of their rebellion, all they experienced was a culture of death and darkness. All because they refused to give themselves fully to the Lord and his glory. 
So my first point, if you're a note taker, is this. Our usefulness to the Lord. Our usefulness to the Lord. Now, if you are in Christ, if you are in this room this morning or watching later, and you are a follower of Christ, you have surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus, you know that you belong to him. Um, We, too, have the experience of being rescued from slavery. Slavery to sin and to death. Romans 6 reminds us that the wages of our sin is death. And none of us can escape that. But God stands ready right now to bless us and to use us for the advance of the gospel in our generation. And this is on offer to every single one of us, no matter how young or how old you are. This is on offer. This is not for the spiritual elite. This is not for the, the, um, the Christian sort of Navy SEALs, if you will. This is for every single follower of Jesus. It's the privilege that each of us enjoys right here, right now, in this part of our city in the year 2022. God wants to use us. But if we want to be useful to the Lord, we must trust him enough to do his work in his way. And brothers and sisters, we do not have forever. Verse 10 makes that abundantly clear. The years of our life, the scripture says, are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. If we live to 80. Now, our elders were just in the Young at Heart Sunday School class with so many of you. And I'm so inspired and encouraged by Uh, you saints who have even crossed that threshold of 80 and beyond, and and you are still walking faithfully with the Lord Jesus, we have so much to learn from you. We have so much to enjoy from you about what it looks like to weather all the storms of life and see Jesus come through for you. But how much time do any of us actually have left? I just read a book uh, called 4,000 Weeks, uh, the, the subtitle is um, Time Management for Mortals. <laughs> and, and in the book, he makes the case that if you live to the year 80, uh, that's about 4,000 weeks. It's a little bit more than that, okay? That really puts things in perspective, 4,000 weeks. Next week, I turn 42 years old. So that means over half of my weeks are gone. Precisely, that means I have, if I live to 80 by the Lord's grace, I have 2,028 weeks left on the earth. Now that sounds like a large number, but it's not infinite. It's not forever. Churches don't live forever either. There's not a single church mentioned in the New Testament that's still in existence in its form that it had then. Every church, every person has a life cycle. Now, you have seen by the grace of God, Bent Creek, 122 years of God's faithfulness. Missy O'Day has seen 15 years of the Lord's faithfulness. And we are so thankful for each of those years. But we don't know what the future holds for either of our congregations. What is more important is the advancement of the kingdom of God, not our individual churches. So may we stay low before the Lord open and useful to the Holy Spirit. As we imagine what it might look like to to partner together in ministry, let us stay low before him and useful to the Holy Spirit. Now, let's move on. I I want to focus our attention here on verses 12 to 17. And so let me reread them really quickly for us. 
um, and then we'll, we'll dive into them. Verse 12 says this, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. If you're taking notes, the second point you can write down, my second observation is the faithfulness of the Lord. The faithfulness of the Lord. So in light of this history that Moses is recounting in the first 11 verses, he now makes a shift, and he's requesting some things of the Lord. He's saying, this is what we long for as your people, God. And there's at least four things he points out here. Number one, he says, teach us to number our days. Now, we've already talked about this briefly, but I hope that every single one of us is living with a sense of urgency about our lives. Now, all eyes right here, right now. I want you to hear, hear me say this. Every one of you matters to the Lord Jesus. You matter. Your life matters. It is significant in the eyes of the Lord Jesus. But time is not on our side. All of us in this room, however, however many hundreds of us there are right now in this room, all of our lives collectively, together, are this on the radar of eternity. And the world is increasingly filled with all kinds of distractions and temptations that steal our time away, take the hours from us. So teach us, Lord. Humble us and teach us to number our days. Secondly, he says, satisfy us with your steadfast love. The word for steadfast love in the original language is a word has said. And this word is hard to translate in English. Sometimes it's translated as mercy. Sometimes it's translated as steadfast love. Sometimes it's translated as faithfulness. But it really has this idea of um, an unmerited, unchangeable, immovable love that God has for his people. Un unmerited, unchangeable, immovable love. Do you know how radically loved by God you are? I hope you have a sense of the love of God for you, believer. I, listen, but I pastored this church for years, and I could tell other people how much God loved them, and I didn't believe it for myself. And it wasn't until some of you heard, have heard this story uh, as you get to know me, you'll understand I have about four stories, and I tell them all over and over again. But in 2015, I was granted a sabbatical, and um, my family and I were up in New York, and uh, I was just in a bad place. I just was grumpy and angry and, and, and sad all at the same time. And, um, and I had a coach, and he was working with me, and he said, uh, I think you should take a prayer walk and just, just lament to the Lord. Just because I was feeling as though everybody loved me for what I gave to them, not for who I was. 
Like a lot of my friendships and relationships felt one-sided. Ministry often feels one-sided. And so I just was in this bad place of thinking, everybody who, who loves me, loves me for what I bring to the table, not for me. And so he said, hey, you should go and, and pray about that in the woods. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And then I talked to my wife about it, and she said, you should do it. So I did it. And <laughs> I, I, I went for this prayer walk, and I'd like to say I was lamenting, but I, I wasn't. I was complaining. There's a difference. And about 20 minutes into the walk, I just remember, it wasn't an audible voice, okay, but, I, but the Lord stopped me in my tracks. And he, he said, Brian, I'm the only one who loves you for you because with me, you don't bring anything to the table. And, and it melted me in that moment and I haven't been the same since. And, and so when you get to live out of the love of God, when you get to serve out of the love of God, when you get to minister out of the love of God, it's a very different experience. I'm here to tell you, and I hope that you have a sense of the love of God on your life. And when you know that you are loved by God, it makes you glad. I talked about this with you guys the last time I was here. Gladness is that sense of buoyancy, right? You can float in any and every circumstance because it you know you, you can enjoy your unchanging privilege that comes in God through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, he says, show us your work and your power. We want God's stories. We want the kind of stories that when we tell them, people say, well, only God could have done that. I'm not interested in more stories about human endeavors and human power and human strength and human ingenuity. I want to I tell stories of what God has done and only God could do. Don't you? I want stories to be able to tell my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, Lord willing, about what God has done to, to see works only God can do in our lives and in our city. Let me ask you this. What is the Lord unwilling to do for us to the praise of his glorious grace, if we ask. And, and then finally, in this little section here, he says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Now, uh, I, I preach from the e English Standard Version, the ESV. Some of you may have other translations, but there's a footnote in the ESV that tells me that this word favor can also be translated as beauty. And if you have a King James, it says beauty right there favor or beauty. Now, favor is not a wrong word, but there's another word in the Hebrew language that's often used for favor or for um, blessing, okay? This word is different. This word means pleasantness or loveliness or delight. In fact, there's a couple other places. Um, I'll just read them to you really quickly. In Psalm 16, for instance, uh, in Psalm 16, verse 11, the scripture says, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the same word. Or in Psalm 27, in Psalm 27, 4, the psalmist says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of of the Lord. There's that word. So let's think together about this. 
What does this mean? Let the beauty of the Lord, let the favor of the Lord rest upon us. What does that even mean? Um, Beauty gets noticed, doesn't it? Like it's literally attractive. (laughs) Whether that's out in nature, some of you love to hike or mountain bike or just take walks. And um, we live in such a beautiful part of the country, even the world, I'd say. And so maybe some of you have been captured by a a sunset or just a a picture of the mountains. I remember the first time that I went out to uh, Colorado and saw the Rockies. I flew into Denver and I was like, are you tricking me? Because it's flat in Denver. Uh, And then we drove west. And as we drove west and sort of uh, you know, kind of came to the top of a ridge, all of a sudden the, the, the majestic peaks of the Rockies appeared and I was struck with awe. Maybe for some of you it's, um, it's music or, or literature or poetry that, 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 that beauty just attracts you to it. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie and I can't recommend the movie necessarily, but it's a great movie so you, you should watch it. Uh, it's called The Shawshank Redemption. It's like 25 years old. It came out in 94, I think. Uh, featuring Tim Robbins as this uh, guy who supposedly falsely goes to prison. Well, uh, he makes good with the warden. In this, in this one particular scene, he's trying to build out a library for the prison. And so they've had all these books and records and stuff donated. And uh, he, he's rifling through these, this stack of records, and he comes across this Mozart opera. Um, and there's this particular, he puts it on the record player, and he's alone in the warden's office. And so he, uh, he puts the record player on, and he's, this beautiful uh, opera duet, these two women begin singing. And he soon notices he's alone, and so he goes over and he locks the door to the warden's office, and then he fires up the PA system, and, and he sticks it on, and he blasts this opera all the way through the prison. And, and to a man, I mean, guards, prisoners, everybody, everyone is sort of looking out the windows, looking at the speakers, and taking in this beauty of this music as it just washes over them. It gets noticed, right? All beauty everywhere reflects the beauty of God. Everything about the Lord is magnificent. His holiness is beautiful. His mercy is attractive. Even his wrath is admirable. And God's beauty and God's power um, and, and his steadfast love were most vividly displayed for us at the cross of Christ. Where Jesus absorbed all of our ugliness into himself and gave us back nothing but mercy and forgiveness and love and acceptance. And all we do is receive the finished work of Jesus with empty hands. The only reason that we are even here, gathered in this room together to worship the Lord, is that he opened our eyes to see the beauty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I pray that if you're here today and you, don't, you have not experienced the beauty of, of the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that you would come to him today and that his beauty would wash over you. That you would understand what he's done for you in his life and his death and his resurrection. To bring you to himself and to give you a new identity and a new family. And so, as we kind of clo- move towards a close here, I want to focus on this last verse, verse 17. Look at it with me again. Let the favor or the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us 
and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The, the last point, if you're a note taker, I just want you to write down, is our fruitfulness for the Lord. Our fruit, so we saw our usefulness to the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord, and then finally our faith, or excuse me, our fruitfulness, it should say, our fruitfulness for the Lord. Now I want you to know, both churches, verse 17 has been my prayer since day one of this process. That if, 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 our, if these two churches are going to come together and become one church, it's something only God can do. In fact, it's, it's something I'm only interested in if God is doing it. That his favor would be upon us and that this would be his work that gets established. It's our hands at work, but it's him working through us. And so I would encourage you, um, all of us, as you consider these next few weeks as we discern together God's will, that you would use this as a prayer, that you would pray verse 17 over this whole process in the next three weeks here or so. So he says, establish the work of our hands, which means establish means to make permanent, right? To, to, um, to make lasting. And so we ask the question, like, what will make an eternal lasting impact in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. In other words, what difference can the beauty or the favor of God resting upon his people actually make in this area? And, and there's a few things I think that, that we see here. Um, for one, beauty is dignifying. It's, it's humanizing. Uh, back to the movie I mentioned, as this opera is playing in the, uh, in the prison, Morgan Freeman plays another character named Red, and he's the narrator of the movie. And um, at some point as the opera is playing, uh, he begins to narrate over the top of it, and he says, um, he says something to the effect of, oh, I really want to do a Morgan Freeman impression right now. <clears throat> I shouldn't. He says, uh, I don't know what those ladies were singing. I can't do it. Yeah, I don't, he says, I don't know what those Italian ladies were singing that day. In fact, I don't want to know. I'd like to imagine that it was something so beautiful that it couldn't be put into words. And then he says this. All I know is, for the briefest of moments, every man in that prison felt free. Beauty is dignifying. It's humanizing. Our culture, brothers and sisters, floods us every single day with things that are ugly, with things that are demeaning, and not only that, things that are just trivial and dumb and meaningless. And all those things, as we take them in, it dehumanizes us. But how can we who bear the name and the image of our creator, give ourselves to things that are ugly and petty and shallow and cheap. The reason we come here, the reason we drive from however far we drive to come and be gathered together as the body of Christ is to be reminded of who God is, to be reminded of who we are in him, to be renewed in our spirits, to be refreshed in the presence of the beauty of the Lord so that we can go back out to, into a world that is full of ugliness and show forth the beauty of God to, to a watching world. 
So beauty is dignifying, but beauty also raises our standards. We are compelled by the grace of God to strive to live lives that reflect the beauty of God. Here's the reality. When God is only obligatory and not desirable to us, then following God becomes duty and not delight. But when we find God not just obligatory, but beautiful, desirable, then following God becomes not just duty, but delight. It's our joy to follow him. It's our joy to give our lives to him. God did not call us, brothers and sisters, to settle for slightly Christianized mediocrity. And who enjoys that anyway? See, if Christianity was just about following the rules, then most of us would do only the minimum amount required in order to be good with God. That's what a lot of people think Christianity is. It's a set of rules, a set of do's and a set of don'ts, and if you do the do's and don't do the don'ts, then you're good with God. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus know that's not true at all, is it? But if that was true, if Christianity was only about following the rules, we would all just follow uh, the, the, the basic set of rules in order to get by, in order to not be judged or damned. But how can we, who have experienced the favor and the mercy of God, settle for the bare minimum? Finally, as I mentioned earlier, beauty is attractive. People who are marked by the beauty of God, by the favor of God, become a living proof of who he really is in this world. We have a high calling. I talk about this often in our church. We have a high, high calling to display imperfectly but visibly something of the beauty and the glory of God to this world. And a people who are marked by God's beauty are going to be a people who are marked by humility in a culture of self-importance. We're going to be marked by sacrifice in a culture of selfishness. We will be marked by holiness in a culture of baseness. We will be marked by honor in a culture of shame. We'll be marked by love in a culture of apathy. We will be marked by unity in a culture of division. We will be marked by forgiveness in a culture of cancellation. We will be marked by joy in a culture of depression. And we will be marked by courage in a culture of anxiety. And when God's people who have taken in the beauty of God reflect the beauty of God to a watching world, you know what happens? We become a compelling light in the darkness for his glory and for their good. Because let me ask you something. Where do people go when they have drunk from the cisterns, the broken cisterns of this world, and they are still thirsty? Where do people go when life comes crashing down upon them and they need help? They come to church, y'all. And they expect to find God here. And they expect to be helped. And you know what? Their expectations are right. 
So we wanna be a church of life and vibrancy and beauty and the fullness of joy in this crazy broken up world. And inasmuch as you and I reflect the beauty of Christ, he promises to establish the work of our hands. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, what does Jesus say? I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Isn't that good news? <laughs> so we come open-handed, low before him, seeking his beauty, letting that beauty reflect through us. And if we do that, when we do that, he will meet us here with even more grace than we could ever imagine for his glory and for our good and the good of all those who have not yet entered the four walls of this building. May the, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, our times are in your hands. And so as we consider this process that you have been leading us through, as we consider what lies ahead for your church, we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to behold your beauty we pray that you would fill us with joy in your presence. We pray that you would help us grow in wisdom and in grace as we learn together to, to number the days of our lives. We ask you, Lord, to, to look with favor upon us. We are just your children and your servants we ask you to look with favor upon us and to establish the work of our hands, whatever that means. Whatever that means for a future together, that you would establish the work of our hands as we learn to serve you with gladness in any and in every circumstance. Trusting in your goodness for the rest of our lives. 